Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Gianna Malillo, Assistant Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. On this episode of Managed Carecast, we speak with John Showalter, Chief Product Officer at Javion and an internal medicine physician, and Soi Chen, Director of Data Science at Javion and part of the data science team at Javion. On their paper entitled, Using Applied Machine Learning to Predict Healthcare Utilization Based on Socioeconomic Determinants of Care. Thank you both so much for being here. Hello, Gianna. Hi. To start off, what was the objective of the research you both completed and why did you choose this topic? The objective of the research was to demonstrate our our hypothesis that we really could predict utilization uh, without clinical risk factors. And there have been several papers published showing that social economic risk factors represent 60 to 80 percent of what really drives a patient's health. And there have been successful uses of AI and machine learning to predict utilization off of clinical factors, but we hypothesized and ultimately demonstrated that just using social economic risk factors and some behavioral information, you can accurately identify which patients are going to utilize the hospital and the emergency department. How does the machine learning model work? Can you explain the data sources for me? Sure. So the machine learning model is a tree-based algorithm, and it is, in essence, a giant survey poll that is done on large numbers in a big scale, and it's done repetitively. And so that way it can sample in a statistically meaningful way to uh, arrive at conclusions at different ways of slicing and dicing the population across parameters that we're running automatically through so that the algorithm does the grunt work of deriving these statistical rules to make these decisions on assigning risk on an individual. And the data sources that we use are publicly accessible data sources from the census.gov. So they have a website, data.census.gov, and also an API where you could download and query from individual-based, localized to a zip code or block group level data on where the individual is that you're querying for. And we also have purchased data from uh, vendors that have consumer-based data on the individual. What made you select those consumer-based data sources? So they have a a rich set of data that will be able to tie on to the individual level. So the data from the census rich is granular enough to the block group level, but not down to the individual. So in order to differentiate the difference between you and your neighbor, that purchase consumer data is a lot more efficient in being able to localize you down to the individual household and the individual. For example, the interaction between somebody's likelihood to to use their smartphone or use the internet really interacts with the census tract features. So if you're in an area that has limited access to food, 
but you have a Walmart that will deliver you food and you're tech fluent enough to use the Walmart app and order your groceries that way and have them brought to your door, you mitigate the fact that you're in a food desert. The ability to, to have digital fluency to choose a purchasing channel between mail and, and smart app really affects what's going on at the census track level. So we brought those pieces of information in uh, to interact uh, and to allow from the machine learning to be interaction variables with the standard census and government block data. What were the main findings of the study and were you surprised by any results that you gathered? So we were pleasantly surprised that we actually predicted very accurately. So from the statistical side, our area under the curve for the ability to predict ER utilization, hospital utilization, you know, was over 0.8. So very good on the discrimination side, uh, had good sensitivity and specificity above 70% as well. Uh, so we were, I think we were a little, a little surprised by how well the prediction worked and how clearly the personal behaviors and the social environment actually do contribute to utilization. I think we were also a little surprised by some of the factors that came out as being important. Neighborhood stability, uh, which isn't often included in social determinants of health, was very important. Also saw that purchasing channels and digital fluency were, were very important to understanding the overall risk of the patient. I think we're also surprised by the relatively limited impact of demographic features like age, race, and gender, which on the clinical models played much larger roles than they play in the analysis that we did. Typically, when we have a mix of clinical risk factors along with social determinants of uh, risk factors, we tend to see that the social factors get pushed really far down since the clinical factors are so dominating. So having the clinical risk factors be absent was a very good experiment to have because then we were able to see that the social economic uh, factors were still able to derive risk separately from having the clinical factors. What are the advantages of using this model in the real world? The primary benefit is, is focus. Uh, and the ability for clinicians and their workflows to understand what's driving the greatest risk for the patient, what's contributing the, the most from the socioeconomic terms of care, and also to know which patients are at greatest risk just from their social vulnerability. So the ability to actually rank, this is your patient that is most vulnerable, this is your patient that's least vulnerable, uh, and get the, the, the right resources in that clinical setting to, to address that patient's need. On a production level sense, the, having this model in real, run in real time or readily available to run in real time is very convenient in that we don't have any manual processes that are necessary. So having to deploy this in a new area is pretty straightforward. We can just readily ingest the data on the individuals in a community and send that through the model and have that spit out everything um, in a ready-to-go process. So that is a very convenient way to deploy the product in communities that have different compositions and different distributions and different demographics. Going off of that, can you just give maybe a couple of examples of how 
health systems might use these insights from predictions to target different types of interventions? Definitely. So in building off of what Soy just mentioned, you know, this really is from a health system perspective, not a lot of data is needed. It's really the demographics on the patients and their address and then everything else is mined by the algorithm. So it is rapid enough for them to deploy it in a primary care setting where they could incorporate a targeted uh, health risk assessment in their rooming process where based upon what's important to uh, each individual, a rooming nurse could do a five, 15 question screen as opposed to a full 75 question assessment. Um, Also can get brought into case management or population health nurse workflows or social workflows in order to make sure that the top needs for that patient are addressed. So you're able to understand that this patient has challenges with digital fluency and is likely not going to self-educate online and that you need to provide them with, you know, more robust education, possibly a recording on their cell phone in order to actually have successful education happen with that patient. So there are a number of workflows where it's just the ability to understand the social economic risk factors quickly and easily, and then build them into how you're addressing the total care for that patient. When you think of future areas of research, maybe outside of the specific interventions you just listed, where do you think using machine learning is going in order to predict healthcare utilization in other realms? In the sense of what data is available in the market these days, a lot of uh, new avenues involve behavioral habits that people have. And so data is available on how uh, the individual has wearable devices or data collectible from their Apple watches or their Fitbits, things like that, that drive a lot of new granularities in their habits and their daily activities that drive a lot of products that are on the market or being developed on the market. Some of the challenges involved with that are these new things like the CCPA in California, where we have the sensitivity of privacy and data responsibility and usage and things like that, that has a lot of identity and privacy security concerns. So that is a posing challenge to a lot of how this data will be handled and manipulated. I was actually going to bring up the topic of data privacy. Were this to be implemented on, say, a national level, do you foresee that becoming an issue when it comes to mining different patients' data? I think it really does depend on your approach. Uh, If you have an approach that's going after the details of what somebody is purchasing or trying to get transactional information on their search, I think there are a lot of concerns with privacy on that, and we're going to see a lot of regulations addressing that and actually preventing that. Our methodology really looks at more of an index level, you know, so on a scale from 1 to 10, Um, How likely is somebody to self-educate online as opposed to knowing whether or not they are Googling for COPD or CHF? Uh, At that index level, it's still very compliant even with the California Consumer Protection Act. And we're going to need to bring to bear the, the right 
machine learning techniques in order to accurately understand what's going on at that level, because there will continue to be inferences that need to be made to make accurate predictions, because we don't think it's appropriate to go to that line item level. Uh, we don't think that's the right level of depth to, to dig into somebody's social economic terms of care from a machine learning perspective. We also anticipate that that's going to become um, something that is very challenging to do by regulation or law in the not too distant future. You looked into areas in urban Ohio, urban Georgia, and rural Alabama for this study. Was there any reason in particular you selected those three geographic areas? No, those were health systems that we had had partnerships with and had access to their data. Uh, we have subsequently done this analysis with almost a million more patients with a with a much wider geographical uh, distribution and, and repeated our our success. But they were selected more for convenience than for necessarily representing the U.S. as a whole. And is there anything else I didn't touch on that either of you would like to add? From a future research slash utilization perspective, the ability for this technique or these types of techniques to create a continuous risk spectrum so you really do understand who's at highest risk. You know, so future research into, you know, does intervening and addressing these issues at the highest risk patients truly drive improvement of outcomes. Also looking at whether there are visualizations or geospatial visualizations, so essentially maps uh, that help us understand how to address the needs of communities is on our roadmap for future investigation. Great. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Great. Nice speaking with you, Jana. Thank you very much. To learn more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.